Hello and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyner. Josh, how's it going? Hey, well, we've been talking about this week since August, so it, it's definitely good to be here and ready to get started. Yeah, you know, this is, this is the game that we've been uh, bringing up over and over and over again that Penn State has to win if they want to make the playoff. Uh, of course, there was one game last week that we'll touch on first, but this will be mostly Ohio State-centric, as one would expect. Uh, but let's, let's, let's get that out of the way then first here with Indiana uh, and where we always start, and that's Sean Clifford. Uh, I know you obviously wrote about him after the game. What did you think of how he played against the Hoosiers and, and sort of what it means going into the, the matchup with the Buckeyes? Yeah, well, I, I feel like if you just look at the stat sheet, you're probably not overly impressed. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford, he finished 11 of 23 passing, which isn't great. But what was important was the way he bounced back from his three interception performance against Minnesota. He only had the one turnover there. It was it was on the fumble when he was uh, strip sacked. And, and that didn't seem too concerning to me. Uh, but what was most important, every time Indiana scored a touchdown, literally on the very next drive, Sean Clifford responded by going downfield and Penn State scored itself. So, you know, I thought that was huge. And you talk about stepping up when Penn State needs it. You know, I thought Sean Clifford was absolutely clutch against the Hoosiers. And you really don't need to look further than that 18-play, 75-yard drive that took 9:01 off the clock. And, and James, in, in the entire James Franklin era, I don't know if there's a more impressive drive than that one. You know, that was exactly what they needed at the time. So, you know, and on top of that, uh, Sean Clifford had two rushing touchdowns and 55 rushing yards. So, you know, he was a big reason for this offense having success, a big reason Penn State scored 34 points. And I think it should give Penn State fans a little bit more confidence, you know, heading into the big game against Ohio State. Yeah, he he definitely started off slow in that game, uh, which has been an issue for him this year, uh, you know, sort of keeping the nerves under control, keeping himself steady at the beginning of games. But but those, you know, uh, emotions sort of give him an advantage later in games. And you're right. He was, I mean, for lack of a better term, clutch. You know, he, he led them down the field on that long drive. Uh, he was the main reason they were able to score throughout the game. Uh, you just want to see him calmer at the beginning of the game, basically, because going into Columbus, uh, that is going to be a pretty raucous atmosphere. And uh, he's going to have a hard time staying calm there if he couldn't stay calm for the game against Indiana. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. But as of now, if I'm a Penn State fan, I'd be pretty, you know, pretty happy with his play going into the game. It's much better coming off of that performance than the performance against the the Golden Gophers, like you said, where he was uh, struggling all game. A lot of his throws were short. He just wasn't playing all that well. Uh, and and I think he's going to have to be a threat with his legs against Ohio State, too. And I think he continued to show that against Indiana, which is promising. Uh, but, but outside of Clifford, was there anything that stood out to you uh, about the game against Indiana? Uh, well, just essentially the same thing against Minnesota. We have what's become a, a very unwanted trend uh, regarding the pass defense. I mean, you know, Pat Narduzzi, the, the head coach from Pitt, you know, said early on, we're going to go after their secondary because that's the weak link of the defense. And I, I think we've seen these last two weeks that, um, you know, Pat Narduzzi is not the coach you want uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, whether to go for a touchdown or a field goal. But he was, he, he was exactly right. I mean, he, he saw this team's weakness from the very beginning, and, and it's absolutely been the pass defense. In the last two weeks, uh, Penn State's allowed 710 passing yards. Uh, they've allowed, well, I want to say four touchdowns. They've allowed both quarterbacks to complete 80% of their passes. That's not pretty. Um, Penn State looks like one of the, the worst pass defenses of the Big Ten the last two weeks. It's been amazing to see how this defense has dropped off. I mean, early in the season – 
Um, we thought this defense was going to be the reason they win games. And, and really the last two games, the offense has been the reason that Penn State's won. I mean, you know, uh, uh, or why Penn State's done so well, rather. Uh, you know, Sean Clifford has, you know, looked good against Indiana. Um, the rushing game still took off, uh, you know, against Minnesota. You know, Penn State still scored. Um, you know, what, 26 points against the Gophers. I, I, you know, it, it's really been the defense that, that struggled. The tackling has not been crisp. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things you can point to in the defense. Lack of a pass rush. I mean, it's, it's really been a, an incredible drop-off. But almost to an extent, um, you play this out over the course of a season and, and you've got Michigan State, um, you know, where, where there were big expectations about the defense and they've just fallen flat. You know, Penn State's had a good year, but these last two games, it's just been very, very uncharacteristic. Um, yeah, and, and there were a couple of things that stood out to me, especially, uh, you know, uh, I'll start with the pass coverage because I wrote about this as one of my takeaways from the game. First, they, they weren't turning their head early in the game at deep balls, and finally they started to in the second half and started to try and track the ball instead of playing the receiver, which was a needed change. The problem was once that started happening, Indiana started shredding them underneath, and they kept going you know, seven to nine yards every single play. Every single play, they were getting it with ease. Uh, and I think part of that, and it affects both, and this is the main concern for me right now, is the lack of a pass rush. This is supposed to be the strength of this defense, is the, is the front four and its ability to get to the quarterback, you know, throw in Micah Parsons as a fifth rusher, and all of a sudden you've got an unstoppable rush. That hasn't been the case in the last two weeks. They barely got any pressure on Peyton Ramsey. Uh, he had plenty of time to sit back, you know, three-step drop, get the ball out on his first or second read with ease. And, I mean, some credit has to go to Kalen DeBoer and, uh, you know, Indiana's offensive coordinator and the game plan that he had set up. But but part of it is on the Penn State pass rush. It just has to be better. Uh, you, you need to get to the quarterback. You need to make him uncomfortable. And especially against Ohio State this week, that has to be a huge concern. If they can't contain Justin Fields, if they can't get pressure on him and force him out of the pocket and allow their linebackers to make plays in the open field, they're in for a very, very long game. And they're going to get torn apart by him, quite frankly. Uh, I, I just think this pass defense needs to improve in a ton of aspects. Uh, and you're absolutely right. There, there are a ton of issues, but I think it all uh, lends credence to the idea that the defensive line hasn't been all that great as of late. Uh, and they need to step up if, if Penn State wants any chance. With that being said, they match up pretty well. well with uh, before we move on, I, I just think it's, it, it's important to, to stress about the defensive line and kind of put into context – you know, just how much they struggled. So, so if I may here, John Sauber, uh, you know, I'd just like to add, you know, one stat that I think is, is, is pretty telling for, for the Penn State defensive line, and that is right now, again, you know, stat sheet looks nice. Uh, they have 33 sacks on the year. They're tied for 11th nationally. Well, they had 10 sacks against Purdue and seven against Idaho. So more than half of their sacks this season came against two very uh, bad opponents. So, yeah, when you, when you look at the season as a whole and the fact that, you know, in eight other games they had a total of 16 sacks, yeah, I, I absolutely think that's cause for concern. And, and we've talked to players about it. And, and outside of deflections and saying, uh, you know, we just need to finish sacks, uh, you know, th th there really hasn't been much of an explanation, you know, for this. I, I think the, the defense uh, maybe is just as surprised as the outsiders are. Yeah, and, and what I was going to say in this, uh, you know, this could be a good matchup for them to get back on track. And you're, you're absolutely right. It's been two games and almost nothing else for this, this past rush. They've been pretty bad in all those other games. They've been propped up by those two games. And I know 
uh, James Franklin has mentioned before where they rank in the country and that he's pretty happy with that. But again, if it's because of two outlier performances, that's not a good thing in the, uh, in the long-term outlook for this team. But I think they do match up pretty well with Ohio State's offensive line. Uh, it's a more athletic offensive line than it is a more powerful one. Uh, and, and Penn State's played a lot of, you know, offensive lines that are very strong, very big. Uh, Minnesota's the perfect example for that. You know, the, the right side of that line weighs 770 pounds, and they just overpowered the Penn State defensive line. I don't think that's going to be the case this weekend. Uh, they're going to be, you know, um, there's going to be a lot more zone blocking, a lot more finesse with this team rather than just trying to sort of run you over and run through a defense. And maybe Penn State takes advantage because of that. You see Shaka Tony possibly with a breakout, a little more Jason Owe, uh, a little more Adisa Isaac. Uh, Yitor Grossmatos maybe has a big game because he is stronger than some of these offensive linemen. It's really an opportunity, though, for these guys to show what they can do against a pretty ideal opponent. I mean, it's still a good, very, very good offensive line at Ohio State. It's just not as menacing, I guess, as most of the opponents Penn State has faced. And I think that presents an opportunity for, you know, the Penn State defensive line to get back on track in the team's biggest game of the year. Yeah, well, hey, if the offensive line is different from Minnesota, that, that, that should give uh, Penn State fans a little bit of a reprieve because we know how that went. First half, zero sacks, zero tackles for loss, zero turnovers, zero QB hurries. Uh, you are not going to beat Ohio State if those st same stats show up again, that's for sure. Yeah, they, they absolutely have to get pressure on Justin Fields. Uh, and let's sort of uh, switch up and go to Ohio State then now, you know, because that is the big game this week. Uh, in all of college football, you've got three pregame shows that are going to be there. You've got Fox's pregame show, pre -game show Big Ten Network's pregame show, and College Game Day uh, will all be there. Uh, so, I mean, that shows you the gravity of this game and the, the implications of it. Uh, basically, a win and you're in uh, for the playoff, assuming the winner wins the Big Ten title in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, you know, where are your eyes focusing right now on this matchup, and what do you think is going to be key for Penn State and pulling off the upset? I mean, I think there's, there's a couple things to look at. I think, you know, above all is just kind of, um, you know, who's going to have more success through the air. Um, you know, I think that's going to be especially big and, you know, kind of an offshoot of that. You know, I'm looking to see how Penn State handles, you know, Ohio State defensive end Chase Young. I mean, pro football focus has essentially said that, you know, this guy's a generational player that, you know, for the last few years since they've been tracking, uh, you know, just how much one player disrupts the offense, um, that Chase Young is quite literally off the charts, that he's doing it on more than one third of plays when um, no other player has has really um, I think gone over 25%. So, I mean, uh, you know, I asked Des Holmes earlier today, uh, Penn State backup offensive lineman, you know, in your three years here, um, is it fair to say that, that this, this guy is the best you've seen on tape? And, and he didn't hesitate. He said, yeah, absolutely. That, that is fair to say. I mean, you know, Chase Young is the type of defensive player that can completely turn a game around. Had he not been suspended for two games, which, you know, hey, what a coincidence. He gets to come back just in time for Penn State. Um, I'm sure Penn State fans love that. Uh, James Franklin was on the radio earlier today uh, when he talked about, you know, isn't that nice? But, yeah, I mean, the, the, the point is that this guy can take over a game. He could be an actual Heisman contender had he not been suspended. And some people still think he should be. I mean, he has, I want to say, 13 and a half sacks, 15 and a half tackles for loss already this season. And Penn State has not seen anything like him um, this year. James Franklin, I don't think, has seen anything quite like Chase Young uh, since he's been here at Penn State. So this is, uh, I, I think that's absolutely going to be key. This offense can't go if Sean Clifford doesn't have any time. 
Yeah, no, I I think Chase Young is the biggest game wrecker in college football right now, uh, and he's proven why. Uh, like you said, the 13 and a half sacks without playing in two games is pretty ridiculous. And had he played in those two games against Maryland and Rutgers when oh, he probably yeah. would have been in for a total of a quarter because they, they would have been so uh, – so much more dominating than they already were. I mean, he, he might be looking at 20 sacks already uh, through potentially 10 games. But, of course, he's at 13 and a half through eight, which is still astounding. Uh, and those are against, you know, some really, really good offensive lines. He, he had four sacks against Wisconsin. And, I mean, if you're, if you're doing that against Wisconsin, then good luck to the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, but he's he's been at his best when they need him to be at his best, too. And, and I have to think he's going to come back with a fury after being out for those last two games over – Honestly, something, you know, I, we won't go too far into this, but something pretty petty, and I know it's against NCAA rules, but it's still ridiculous that he got Do, do we know how that. much the loan was for? I think I saw less than $1,000. And, oh. and based on what, what I know about, you know, uh, flights and how much it would cost to fly someone out to Pasadena, I would, I would venture to guess less than $1,000, uh, especially considering it's paid back. Just all very, very ridiculous. Um, but I digress. Uh, you know, he's, he's clearly one of the best defensive players in the country, if not the best defensive player in the country. Uh, probably going to be the number one pick in the draft, uh, if not a top three pick guarantee. Uh, and he's going to have an influence on this game Saturday. Uh, I, if I were Penn State, I would hope that he lines up across from Rasheed Walker uh, because that's your best offensive lineman. And I would also stick Pat Fryermuth or Nick Bowers next to him the entire game and just have them double-team Chase Young because that's your best bet to stop him. And even then, he's probably going to beat some of those double teams and put some pressure on Sean Clifford. Uh, I think the the more likely scenario is that he lines up across from Will Fries and they have to help him out too. And I think that gets a little bit dicey for Penn State. Uh, I hate to bring back uh, last year's game, but the reason Penn State lost on that fourth and five were, honestly, I know everyone hates the play call. I still don't think it was that terrible, but the reason they lost is because the Penn State defensive line, or excuse me, the Ohio State defensive line ran a stunt with Chase Young. Then he was able to blow up the play because Will Fries got lost on the stunt. And, and Fries is, is the weaker of the two between himself and Rasheed Walker. And if, if Young gets him again, then, you know, uh, they're probably going to be in for a pretty long day uh, along the offensive line, especially if he's lined up on that side. Yeah, it certainly didn't help. I, I believe Greg Schiano said last year that that's more or less what Ohio State expected, uh, you know, Penn State to run. But, yeah, it, <laughs> that play was not good all around, John. Uh, but, but, yeah, you know, it's just going to be interesting to kind of see how, you know, Penn State is – Penn State's offense is able to adapt, not just to Chase Young. You know, we've seen that sometimes they have trouble adjusting. But, you know, we don't know yet if K.J. Handler is going to be okay to go. You know, James Franklin has used the word hopeful. And, again, he's, he's mum about injuries. But it certainly looked as if K.J. Hamler landed on his head Saturday. Um, you know, he's had a concussion in the past. Uh, you know, the, the uh, TV broadcasters believe that um, he suffered a concussion or was at least in concussion protocol. You know, after that game, and, and we don't know if he's going to be good to go. So if he is not good to go, um, I, I really don't think Penn State has a chance at this game. But if he isn't good to go, I think that just gives you more incentive to, to line up two tight ends more often than not. Or, I mean, goodness, you know, line up Ricky Slade in the slot. Penn State is going to have to show Ohio State some things that it has not showed yet this season. Maybe we see, uh, you know, a little bit more different plays out of the Wildcat. I mean, I'm not sure what we see, but – you know, Penn State is going to have to make adjustments, um, you know, before the game, depending on the personnel they have, and certainly during the game. And, and that'll obviously be key in this, you know, battle of two top 10 teams. 
Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. Uh, this is the game where you pull out all of the tricks that you've been working on all year, uh, everything that you practice for two or three reps a week. You know, the, this is this is when those come out of the bag and we see what Ricky Ronnie has has concocted throughout the season uh, because you know that that Penn State has held stuff out for this game. Uh, it, it would be it wouldn't be uh, smart not to do it. This is clearly the best opponent you're going to face all year, and one that is more talented than you. You need to pull out those kind of trait, uh, those kind of plays to pull off an upset. And if they don't do it, then I mean that's you know that's a pretty big uh, X on Ricky Ronnie's uh, resume of some basically him failing at doing something. So I would expect them to pull out everything they've got. Uh, that we saw that Will Levis package last week, and I know James Franklin said that it was because they wanted to basically save. Uh, Sean Clifford in some of those running situations I would venture to guess it was to put something on tape to let Ohio State have to game plan for it and then we see more wrinkles off of that this week uh, I think they should anyways if you're going to put Sean Clifford out at wide out I would imagine there's some throwbacks to him there you know some opportunities to create space down the field get the linebackers stepped up get guys like Jahan Dotson Pat Frymuth in space behind them and let them go to work uh, you know we'll see what exactly they do but that's the kind of stuff that I would be looking for if I were Ohio State and I think you know if I'm looking for it, then they're probably also looking for it. Uh, but you're absolutely right. If KJ Handler's out, this game becomes a way more of an uphill battle. And really your only chance of winning is to grind clock, you know, rely on the running game and hope that Justin Shorter can catch hope that, you know, Jahan Dotson takes a huge step forward this game, because outside of that, you're, you're not looking at many scenarios where you win as it is. And without Handler, there's maybe one or two. And, you know, that's, that's not a good sign for a Penn state team that is basically you know, its entire season and its entire playoff hopes hinge on this one game this year. Yeah, I mean, the good news is that, uh, okay, I mean, we still don't know for sure that Noah Kane is, is going to play Saturday, you know, but uh, he certainly looked, two weeks ago, it, it looked like he could have gone if they needed. Last week, um, you know, he looked a lot better going through a lot of different drills. I know just watching him in practice, most of them thought he would go. And and again, you have to take everything Franklin says with a grain of salt because, you know, he's not looking to be transparent. He's looking to give his team the best chance to win, even if that means, you know, telling reporters, yeah, yeah, we expect him to play. And then Noah Kane doesn't play for two consecutive weeks. Uh, no, but that being said, you know, he he's looked good. We'll get a better idea Wednesday night. Um, at Penn State football practice, you know, seeing where, where Noah Kane is. But again, I would be more surprised if he didn't play this week. You've got to think that, you know, if he really was 90%, like James Franklin said he was, that, you know, Penn State has been saving him for this Ohio State game where they're going to feed him the ball if they have to. I mean, he's the type of guy who can get you, you know, yards and yards, you know, at falling forward and and, uh, you know, getting those, you know, tough yards in the fourth quarter. So, you know, he could have a big role. I think Penn State could win without Noah Kane, um, especially with the job Journey Brown has done the last two weeks, back-to-back 100-yard games. But I don't think they can win without K.J. Hamler. Um, and certainly if they don't have him, you, 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 you've just got to feed the ball to Kane. Yeah, and, and I think that that basically means if they don't have both, they have zero opportunity to win the yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, if they have one, they've got a chance. If they've got both, you know, maybe that chance is around 30%, 20%, but they've still got a – that's a decent shot uh, against what I think is clearly the most talented team in the country, uh, some of the best skill position players that we've ever seen. Uh, the, the defense is just monstrous. I mean, in a quarterback that, unfortunately for Penn State, was at one point committed to the Nittany, to the Nittany Lions as a three-star recruit, of course became the number one player in the country by the end of his recruiting process. But, I mean – Kudos to James Franklin and his staff for, you know, finding that talent in Georgia. It's just unfortunate for them that he ended up deciding to, you know, 
changing change his mind, go to Georgia, of course, transfer to Ohio State after a year there, after Jake Fromm seemingly had a stranglehold on the starting job. And now he's their worst nightmare, basically. Uh, and he is he is a nightmare for defenses to deal with at this point in his career. Uh, there isn't a lot you can do to stop him. Uh, I know this is the, the matchup I'm focusing in on. He's dominant with his legs. He's dominant with his arm. Uh, he hasn't had to be dominant with his legs so far this year, but he really is. Uh, we saw it in the first game of the year against Florida Atlantic. He had that 51-yard rushing touchdown where he just, you know, destroyed the Florida Atlantic defense. And I know that it's Florida Atlantic, but that's just a glimpse into what he can do. Uh, he just hasn't had to do it. Uh, I mean, he has 10 rushing touchdowns. That's yeah. not too shabby. Yeah, it's just he hasn't had to pile up the yardage yeah, yet this right. year. Because he, uh, you know, he he basically the team is up so much after a quarter and a half that they can just sling the ball a little bit and then get him some rest in the second half, uh, which is the proper formula. I don't believe the Ohio State starters have played in the fourth quarter of a game this year, uh, and you know I I think that they'll have to play in the fourth quarter of this game. I'm sure Penn State fans hope that they'll have to, but man, Justin Fields has been incredible this year, and it's kind of surprising he's not more in the Heisman conversation. I know Joe Burrow has been fantastic, but it really feels like Fields should be right up there. Yeah, you know, I mean, you look at his touchdown-to-interception ratio, and it's absolutely insane. He has 31 passing touchdowns, and he has one interception. I mean, that's just – that's crazy. And, again, he's he's got uh, 10 rushing touchdowns as well. He's not playing for all four quarters. And they've literally beaten every opponent by at least 24 points. You know, and they've, they've played some good ones to this point, you know, such as Wisconsin, um, who they beat 38-7. to So – yeah, I mean, you can't say enough good things about him. And, and maybe we do see his name. If he has a big game against Penn State, you know, maybe then he, he, he finally, you know, gets some of the credit that he deserves. But, you know, absolutely. I mean, Justin Fields is a unique talent. He's, he's the best quarterback in the Big Ten, you know, hands down. You know, one of the best in the nation. And, you know, he provides a challenge that, that, that Penn State has, has not seen yet this season. You know, as we said earlier, the last two weeks, Penn State has allowed opposing quarterbacks to complete 80% of their passes. Justin Fields by himself this season is completing almost 70% of his passes. So, I mean, you put those two things together and, and that does not bode well at all for the Nittany Lions. Yeah. I think if you're looking for a silver lining, if you're Penn state, uh, he definitely hasn't faced a defense that has this much talent. Now it hasn't lived up to that talent last couple of weeks, but it is, you know, the most talented he'll see uh, the, the best defenses before this and the best teams before this, honestly, that Ohio state has faced have been, you know, Wisconsin and Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati also hasn't had an impressive schedule, even though they only, only have one loss. And Wisconsin also hasn't been wildly impressive, really only seeing the success that they usually do against teams they match up well with, like, you know, a team like Iowa, who they beat. Uh, so, you know, the, Ohio State hasn't seen this sort of athleticism uh, yet this year. And I think if you're Penn State, your hope is that, you know, maybe it's sort of a sh uh, shell shock and you can jump out to a lead early and then you can sort of hang on for dear life against this team. Uh, but I know that's definitely going to be the case with Fields that, you know, maybe he hasn't seen this kind of talent uh, in a pass defense yet this year. He hasn't seen a pass rush like this, although, you know, Wisconsin got to him five times. It's obviously a very good defense. Uh, and if you're Penn State, you're trying to sort of replicate that performance and, and hope for the best, basically, because that's, I mean, this guy's as good as it gets talent wise. Uh, he's probably going to be the first pick and whenever year he comes out of the, uh, the draft, you know, it'll be him or Trevor Lawrence next year. Uh, I have a hard time believing that he's not going to be one of the top two quarterbacks in the country next year. Uh, and, you know, with the way he's played this year, I would, I would take him ahead of Lawrence personally. Yeah, let, let me play the role of pessimist, if I may, since <laughs> I play it so very well, John. But yes, know, I, you totally do. Get, I totally get, uh, uh, you know, what you're saying when you say that, you know, Ohio State has, or Penn State, excuse me, Ohio State has not played a defense as athletic as Penn State. And, and you're completely right. 
Um, you know, but uh, Minnesota didn't play a defense as athletic as Penn State either, and they absolutely shredded the Nittany Lions. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're both in agreement here. Ohio State, much, 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 much better than Minnesota. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's all a matter of, uh, of guessing to a certain extent and trying to project. But, but, yeah, the fact that Ohio State has literally shredded every single person they've played or every single team they've played by three and a half touchdowns. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we've talked before. Penn State's secondary hasn't looked great. The defensive line hasn't generated pressure. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of ability here. But, you know, they have not been playing up to their standards or their own expectations lately. And, you know, maybe, you know, being on the national stage, playing a good team, you know, maybe they play up to their competition. Uh, I mean, Ryan Day, Ohio State's head coach, at least said that this is the first time, in his opinion, all season, that they have played a talent-equated team, which, I mean, that, that, that's high praise from Ryan Day. You know, they, they played Wisconsin. You know, they, they played Cincinnati. They did play some good teams. I mean, he did just play Rutgers and Maryland, so maybe that's in his head, too. I, I, you can understand that. Uh, you know, we've gone almost this whole show without putting down Rutgers, so, you know, yeah, brief can't, timeout. Can't let that happen. Yeah, yeah, brief timeout. Rutgers is awful. They shouldn't be in the Big Ten, and they should probably kill off their football program. If not, they're – you know, athletics program. But um, I digress. Jumping back to where we were before, um, you know, it's just, uh, it's really interesting to see how these two teams match up. Uh, to date, there is absolutely no doubt. This is Ohio State's toughest test all season. And, and honestly, I mean, Penn State's beaten Michigan. Michigan has gotten better. But I mean, this has become, you know, again, I feel like this is a, a four-letter word in the, the James Franklin era, rivalry. You know, the, the, no one has played Ohio State tough like Penn State has. Penn State had the lead in the fourth quarter last year. They lose by one point. Penn State had the lead the year before that in the fourth quarter. They lose um, by, by one point again. Uh, you, the year before, Penn State comes away with the victory. I mean, this has really been a closely fought, you know, great battle. And if Penn State can even just keep it close, you know, I, I think they would get um, you know, kind of a, a lot of, you know, national recognition just for being that, that one team. Like, you know, I, I guess I wouldn't call Penn State a David, you know, going against a Goliath, but it's kind of like a smaller Goliath, you know, beating a larger <laughs> Goliath, um, you know, which, I mean, it still means something. Uh, so, you know, Penn State's been, you know, generating a good reputation with how, you know, tough they played Ohio State. And, you know, hopefully we see another good game on Saturday. Yeah, that's that's the one thing that sort of keeps me uh, thinking this game will be close. Uh, it's that Penn State generally just gives Ohio State difficult times, you know, and they have for the last three years. Uh, I, I mean, Ohio State was way more talented than Penn State last year, and they still, you know, managed to, you know, have a lead late, and they blew it. Uh, the year before, they, they probably were on equal footing talent-wise, and they blew it. Uh, you know, this is a team that does have talent now. Uh, it is one of the most talented in the country and clearly the second most talented in the Big Ten, uh, the Penn State, that is. Uh, they've recruited at a high level. You sort of got the the speed and the size and the length to stick with a team like Ohio State like no other team has, and it should equate to a good game. Uh, I, I think it will be a good game. I know everyone likes to sort of pinpoint this as, you know, and we've seen it, you know, in Vegas and other sports books. 18 that, and a half points. Yeah, 18 and a half points. You know, that's – I mean, to me, that's a pretty crazy spread uh, for a game like this. I understand giving Ohio State all the respect in the world, but Penn State's a top 10 team in the country. I think they're another level ahead of a team like Wisconsin, who is Ohio State's best best opponent. 
uh, and in a position to, you know, put together a game plan to, to defeat Ohio State. Now, I don't think they're going to, uh, but I think they do have a chance, and I, they've probably got a better chance than any team Ohio State's going to play this year until they get to the college football playoff. And if you're Penn State, a chance is probably all you can ask for at this point, given the way Ohio State's played this year and given the way Penn State's played in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I guess I'll say this. Um, I, I don't know if we're allowed to offer betting advice, but mine would be <laughs> stay the hell away from this game unless, yes. you know, you want to, uh, you know, I, I, think, I, I think it's either going to be close or Ohio State's either going to stomp them. You know, I, I would either, you know, try to adjust the lines, you know, get some more bang for your buck, you know, go Ohio State minus 27 and a half or Penn State, you know, plus seven and a half because I feel like it's it, – you know, it's going to be one or the other, um, you know, or, or certainly you'd be getting, you know, decent odds for that. But yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, my, my, one of my friends and I, we tried to guess what the spread was going to be before this game. And, and neither of us, um, I, I guess 15 and a half and, and he guessed 14. Um, so to see it, you know, start out at 17 and immediately jump up to 19, um, likely because of the Hamler news, um, you know, that was, that was definitely a surprise. You know, it seemed like Penn State wasn't getting you know, quite as much respect, uh, you know, especially with the way it played them the last three years. But, you know, again, every team's beaten – or every, Ohio State's beaten every team by at least 24 points. You know, they can put up 70 against the lesser teams, and that's only really with a half of their starters. I mean, you can't say enough good things about this offense and Chase Young. And, and you know, this is a team that really doesn't have a, uh, have a weakness. I mean, for Penn State to win this game – they're going to need to get a little bit lucky, John. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. There needs to be, I mean, I know J.K. Dobbins does not fumble that often, but they're going to need something to happen. 230 attempts, um, Justin Fields has thrown one interception. You know, whether it's, it's special teams or, or defense, Penn State needs to make a big play. There needs to be a pick six. There needs to be something big for Penn State to win this game. There, there, there just has to be. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I honestly thought this line would come out around that 14, 14 and a half, too. And I was pretty surprised to see it as high as 17. Uh, like you, I think it's either going to be close or uh, an Ohio State boat race. Uh, I would lean toward it being close, like I said earlier, just because of the way Penn State tends to play against Ohio State, uh, even though this game is in Columbus. The fact that it's at noon helps Penn State quite a bit. You know, it's just sort of not the same raucous crowd that you're going to get at a, a 3.30 or an 8 o'clock kick uh, just by – by virtue of, you know, this is early in the day uh, and people are going to be less up for this. Now, with that said, it's going to be a packed stadium. It's going to be very loud and Sean Clifford's going to have to maintain his composure. But there is there is some there are some signs, I should say, that that Penn State has a chance here. Uh, and like I said, that that's more than most people will say about uh, most teams against Ohio State. And it says a lot about what Penn State is this year. Uh, it's a team that you and I po- uh, predicted, excuse me, to be kind of slightly above average at eight and four uh, going into the season. I know I picked nine and three just because I couldn't pinpoint a fourth loss. Uh, and now we're looking at basically a guaranteed 10 win season because uh, they have a buy in the last, Oh no, that says, yeah, no, that's a buy. <laughs> I knew that was yeah. coming, but that was, that was good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, been workshopping that one, but you know, this is, this is a reason this is a de facto big tennis title game because Penn state has Rutgers. And I think everyone assumes if Ohio state beats uh, Penn state, that they will destroy Michigan and, I think even so, Ohio State would clinch it even with a loss to Michigan. So this is a de facto Big Ten East title game and almost a college football playoff, uh, you know, uh, 
this game has sort of college football playoff ties, I should say, because the winner is almost guaranteed to get in. Uh, there are scenarios where the winner doesn't get in. They are not very likely, but they exist. Uh, but let's sort of, I don't want to jump ahead of the gun here a little bit, but, you know, assuming Ohio State beats Penn State, what do you see as the, the most likely offseason outcome for this Penn State team? The most likely, uh, probably Penn State misses out on the New Year's six. New Year's six. Um, it, it's going to be close. Uh, you know, several major, several national outlets still believe that Penn State will get to the Rose Bowl, um, but it's going to need some help for that to happen. And and for that to happen, John, correct me if I'm wrong here, because you know there's a lot that can happen. But um, Penn State could lose to Ohio State and still make the Rose Bowl if Minnesota loses to Wisconsin and then uh, Wisconsin loses to Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. Yeah, that's but correct. But you need – if, if, Minnesota, if Minnesota wins um, wins out and they make it to the Big Ten Championship, that's when it's going to be a toss-up. If, if Ohio State makes it into the Big Ten Championship, then Minnesota makes it into the Big Ten Championship, and Minnesota loses to Ohio State, giving them an 11-2 and record, and Penn State has a 10-2 and record, and Minnesota has the head-to-head win, it's going to be hard, I feel like, for Penn State to get in over the Golden Gophers. Not necessarily impossible. Still might have a better strength of resume. But, you know, obviously Minnesota losing once, Ohio State winning the Big Ten Championship, that's the most likely course of action for Penn State to make the Rose Bowl. Did I miss anything there, John? Did I nail it? Yeah, almost nailed it. I think the one area to get into a New Year's Six Bowl that could actually be probably the most likely at this point is – uh, the Orange Bowl, uh, and that's sort of banking on Georgia to lose another game, which they probably will in the in the SEC title game. And it's it's banking on Penn State looking good against Ohio State. Uh, I think a ten and two Penn State, or even I guess Georgia making the playoff, a ten and two Penn State would be pretty attractive to the Orange Bowl, uh, and they would take on an ACC team, which would be like Virginia at this point. So yeah, I mean that's that a is. that's a guaranteed New Year's Six win too while uh, while they're at it. So. You know, there, there is an avenue for them to get into a non-Rose Bowl, non-playoff, uh, you know, New Year's Six game. Uh, I, I think it it's probably their best bet to do it. You're just banking more on other teams failing than your own success. And I guess that's what they're doing with Minnesota, too. But I think it's more likely that, you know, Wisconsin beats Minnesota and then Wisconsin, you know, loses in the Big Ten title game. And all of a sudden you're either looking at 10-2 and Minnesota, 10-2 and Penn State, or whatever Wisconsin is with, I think, three or four losses at that point. So, you know, Penn State would have a pretty easy, easy end to the Rose Bowl there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all in all, those are pretty ideal outcomes for a team that at the beginning of the year, you and I did not project to play well or to to look good doing it. We, you know, we pointed to 2020 and I tell you what, even, even with uh, a blowout loss this weekend or, you know, whatever loss they, they could end up with, uh, I think this is a really successful year for this team at this point. You know, I agree with you. I was actually thinking about that on the ride over here. Uh, you know, if, if Penn State loses to Ohio State and, you know, beats the bye, um, a.k.a. Rutgers, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, Penn State was favored over Minnesota, but at the beginning of the season, if you said that Penn State would have a 10-win season, you know, Sean Clifford has looked great. Um, the running back rotation has certainly had its bumps in the road, um, you know, but but this offense – you know, overall has played well. The offensive line, you know, has not been the, uh, you know, kind of the Achilles heel that we've grown accustomed to. You know, it's certainly, you know, shown progress and improvement this season that, yeah, I mean, I think overall, I mean, you've got to give James Franklin a whole lot of credit. And 
you know, I know I have not been a huge Ricky Ronnie fan, um, but I, I think, you know, overall this season, um, you've got to give him props for, I, I think, you know, certainly there have been areas where he's made curious play calls, you know, the, 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 the red zone calls, um, you know, against Minnesota, the, the, the fate, the five foot nine KJ Hamler. I mean, he hasn't been perfect, but, you know, overall, you know, at the end of the, the season last year, um, you know, a lot of us thought that, you know, he should be fired and, you know, he's gone from that to, uh, you know, so far, what looks to be an above average offensive coordinator. So, so again, you know, he hasn't been perfect. There's been a lot of decisions that, you know, I haven't been a big fan of, but, you know, he has not been, he, he, he has shown improvement. He's kind of like the offensive line, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot of heat in the past, but you can clearly see that there's been marked improvement, uh, you know, since the beginning of the year and since this time last year. Yeah, and, and I think if we were to look back uh, at this team, I know, again, we're saying this all before the Ohio State game, and I'm sorry if anyone gets upset that we're presuming a loss here, but I think most people are at this point, especially when you're an 18-point underdog. And, you know, hey, I'll gladly eat my words next 18 week. 18 and if, a half point underdog. 18 and a half, that, that's right. Uh, but I'll gladly Don't eat my words hook. next week if they <laughs> if they win, uh, you know, uh, over the Buckeyes. But all in all, I think you, you point to the mistakes of this team, and they're they're mostly youth related. You know, they're they're DBs that aren't playing well. Especially, you know, we've seen Trent Gordon get hurt a couple of times this year in coverage. Uh, hurt as in like beaten downfield. Keaton, I was going to say, I mean, he's yeah, he, and and you know, actually injured for a large part of the year. Yeah, very true. Uh, but uh, you know, you you've seen guys get hurt because of youth and and be you know out of place because of it, and the team gets hurt because of it. Uh, I think those sort of things should go away next year uh, or at least be mitigated a little bit. And same with, with Clifford's issues. A lot of them have been, he hasn't seen these moments before. Uh, and of course, going into next year, he will have seen these moments uh, and he should be, you know, more well-prepared to, to play in, in big games, more well-prepared to, to be calm at the beginning of the games and, and calm in the pocket uh, mainly too, because I know I've criticized that quite a bit this year, how skittish he looks, but that shouldn't be as big of an issue next year. So if, if you're a Penn State fan and you look at the state of where things are right now, assuming everyone comes back that you sort of expect say, to come back. Like, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit here because, you, you know, I, I would say I don't mean to interrupt, but I absolutely do, John. <laughs> we, we've got, you know, we've got to address kind of the elephant in the room with two things. One, um, Pat Fryermuth, you know, acknowledged Tuesday that because he did that post-grad year in high school, he is eligible for the 2020 NFL draft. And KJ Hamler is a redshirt sophomore. He could leave too. Um, this team does not have a lot of, you know, great receiving targets. If Hamler and Frymuth both go, what, what's Penn State going to do here? When all of a sudden your, your, your top, you know, target for Sean Clifford is Jahan Dotson. I mean, I, I get it. People have been talking about since 2018 about how everything sets up for 2020, but if those two guys leave, I mean, does it really for, for the, the, the Penn State offense? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I think there is a chance that both could leave. Right now, I would, you know, I would handicap uh, uh, handlers being the more likely to leave. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's just really tough to see a true sophomore, you know, convinced that he's that ready for the NFL. I think Frymuth stays, uh, you know, I, and I think Handler will end up going. But I think if you're Penn State, you're hoping the youth steps up. I mean, John Dunmore will, will be coming off a redshirt year next year as a wide receiver, very talented route runner, could almost seamlessly step in Jahan, Dotson, Jahan Dotson's rule. You kick Dotson into Hamler's rule, and then you're kind of just waiting for someone to break out as that third wide receiver, which is what they've done this year. And 
you know, with a year under his belt, shorter could be much better. Uh, you have guys like Daniel yeah. George who can take a step up. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they have talent at tight end too, you know, a guy like Brenton Strange, guy like uh, uh, Zach Koontz, like, you know, they're, they're pretty talented at, at those positions. So I, I don't think I mean, that's... We said that last year too. I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's just, you know, we, I guess at this point, can we call it, is, is it fair to label it a wild card? Yeah, it's a bit of a wild card, but, you know, you've also got some freshmen coming in, guys like Jaden Dotton and Keandre Lambert at wide receiver that could contribute early, Lambert especially. Uh, you know, there, there's there's so much talent in the room next year. Uh, I mean, guys like Weston Carr departing, you know, who has been a total non-factor this year. Which surprises uh, me, yeah. yeah. And and I'm sure Penn State fans will love to hear this, but George Campbell has actually been pretty good of late for West Virginia after not getting into Penn State. And, uh, you know, uh, so <laughs> sorry, to, sorry to sort of bring that one up to Penn State fans, but – Clearly, he should have been, you know, it would have been a big help to the Penn State offense had he been able to, you know, get on campus and, and be a part of this team. But, you know, there's so much talent next year that you have to think someone steps up. Where this year, it's sort of like, yeah, there are four or five guys, a lot of them going to be true freshmen. What do you think is going to happen? Like, is there a real chance that these guys are that ready from year one? Uh, I think next year you have, uh, I believe, five wide receivers in next year's class. Maybe it's four uh, coming in and you know, maybe one of those has got one of those guys is ready. If not, you've got this year's freshman and TJ Jones and John Dunmore. One of them should be at least ready to contribute. And you're just sort of waiting for George or shorter to break out. So Hamler, I don't think losing him is dire. Uh, I, I think he's not, I mean, he's clearly so talented that it's going to be tough to replace him either way, but there are ways to replace his game breaking ability because you have so much talent uh, sort of the reliability of Pat Fryermuth, I think is more uh, difficult to replace. Uh, you sort of hope Koontz can step into that. Maybe Strange does, but it's not as easy to replicate. Uh, you probably go away from some of the two tight end sets that you've gone to this year because of Bowers and, and Fryermuth. But, you know, I think there's enough talent on this roster that you're not too concerned about it, especially with the running backs coming in too and Kevon Lee and Kaziah Holmes. Uh, those guys, Kaziah Holmes especially, can split out wide a little bit. And you're going to have a loaded running back room that maybe this, this uh, looks like more like a power uh, power run spread next year than a pass happy spread, uh, and, and they make that transition. Uh, of course, it'll all come down to what Ricky Ronnie is as an offensive coordinator, and you know what kind of uh, ability he has with the personnel he will have. But you know, I don't think there's a ton of reason to be concerned if if Hamler and Fryermuth go. Uh, there's enough there, but I do think Fryermuth is definitely the more difficult to replace of the two, just because he's been so reliable for the last two years. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm definitely going to stay tuned. Uh, but regardless, I am an NFL draft junkie. If those guys do declare, I'm going to have a lot of fun, uh, you know, seeing who's interested and, and, and where they wind up. So hard no to see what... Frymuth not as tight end one if he goes this year. I mean, he's a clear best tight end in the country, which tiny rant. Hey, you know, it's that he's not on the Mackey Awards. I was going to say, you just know, absurd to the Mackey Award, like people, I mean, yeah, well, well, and Florida's tight end too. You know, some people Kyle think he Pitts, win yep. it, and and he didn't even make the list. Like, you know, like 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 Pat Fryermuth, uh, you know, won the damn Mackey Player of the Week award twice this season. I mean, how do you how do you leave a guy out who's who's won your damn award twice? I mean, seriously, this this voting group has got to be the Rutgers of voting groups. Like, <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? I mean, like, really? I mean, it 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 is a travesty. Um, and, and I love like, like these awards are just terrible anymore. I, I'm sorry, going on a little rant here, 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 John Sauber, but like the, the Rivington award that 
that goes to the top center. If you look at that stupid watch list every preseason, they've got like 80 freaking centers on it. It's and, every center in the country that we know starting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you literally have people on that watch list who have not started a, a single game in their lives. You know, like, like they just put out that watch list. It's essentially a freaking participation trophy anymore. They just put out the watch list because they're hoping other reporters and other teams, you know, pick it up and report it. Um, you know, to kind of give them more visibility. And it, it is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I, but like, seriously, I, 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 it boggles my mind. If you don't have, if you don't think Pat Firemuth is one of the 10 best tight ends in the nation, or you think he's the second best tight end in the conference behind Purdue's tight end, who did make the stupid list. Uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know what you've been watching, but uh, it, it can't be this year's fault. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, Pitts is it might be the most talented tight end in the country if, if Ruth isn't, and for him not to be on the list is ridiculous too. Uh, they would be my tight end one and tight end two. Uh, but like you said, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we'll get to that process. You know, later in the year, obviously with guys declaring and everything like that. Of course, right now I know we went a little bit off course for everyone, but it's it can be a little bit tough to look at this Ohio State game uh, when it's it's really a, such an intimidating matchup for Penn State. It's it's so hard to see them winning. Uh, it, it can be a little tougher to, to stay on task there, especially with all that's happened this week, too. Uh, of course, we didn't even touch on the death threats Sean Clifford got, which, by the way, is just absolutely ridiculous. Stop tweeting at players. Don't tweet at players. Just stop. Just stop doing all of it. It is ridiculous. These are kids. He's a 20-year-old kid. He should not be getting – or 21-year-old kid. He should not be getting tweets from random people threatening to kill him, threatening to harm him. Yeah, but, but just I, I mean, absurd. 99% of people aren't complete. Yeah, idiots. no, yeah, abs- absolutely. You're absolutely <laughs> right. But just in case that 1% is listening to this podcast, stop it. Stop it right now. Don't tweet at recruits either. Don't tweet at kids. Just stop tweeting in general. It is going to be bad for you, and it's not going to turn out well. I promise you. But anyways, I'm going to go off that rant <laughs> and finally get to the final portion of today's podcast, and that is, of course, our predictions. Now, I know you said that you think it could be a – uh, a bit of a uh, either a blowout for Ohio State or a close game, uh, you know, no real middle ground there. Uh, and I've said that I expect this one to be close. And I'm going to put you on the spot once again. This time I don't have anyone in mind, uh, so you know, <laughs> I won't. It, we'll both go on the spot here. But what do you think the final score is, is of this game, and who do you think is the most impactful player of the game, either side? You know, every week it comes to this, and I'm I'm still not sure. I need more time to think. But you know, off the top of my head, I just feel like. Um, you know, this is the best offense Penn State has faced. I, I see Ohio State scoring about 38 points. And, and for Penn State, I mean, a lot depends on that fourth quarter. But, you know, right now I'm, I'm probably just going to middle it to be on the safe side and say, oh, Ohio State 38, Penn State 23. Okay. I will take a closer score, a much closer score. Uh, I will go with 35-31 Ohio State. Uh, I just think this this sort of is uh, brewing for a, a Penn State team to have a chance here, and I think they could actually lead in the fourth quarter again, which I'm sure nobody wants to hear. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see this game be 31-28 Penn State going into the fourth quarter. Ohio State scores late and, and closes it out once again. But like you, I, I think the Buckeyes are going to win this one. And, and honestly, I think Fields is going to be the most impactful player in the game. Uh, he's just so versatile. Uh, hasn't had to show it this year, like I said, even though, like you said, 10 rushing touchdowns is nothing to scoff at. Uh, he's just the most talented player uh, on offense that Ohio State has. He's going to be the most talented player on the field when he's on the field against the Penn State defense. And I think at the end of the day, he's going to be too much to handle for Penn State, and they're going to take their second loss of the year. 
Good prediction, John Sauber. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, one of these times we're going to get the the exact final score correct. I, yeah. I look forward to that. And I think I would have had Iowa's final, the Iowa Minnesota game correct if they would have made that damn extra point. You know, that that completely ruined my weekend. Oh, I'm sure it ruined a lot of people's weekends who had <laughs> Iowa plus three. Uh, but, you know, or, or Minnesota plus three, I should say. But, you know, that was uh, – you're right. We're, we'll get it right one time. Uh, you know, of course, you can check the Center Daily Times for our predictions for every single game that you could see uh, this weekend that, you know, in the Big Ten and a couple from around the country that are national games. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, if you want to read Josh and I's writing, you can subscribe to a sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com backslash sports podcast. That's center spelled C-E-N-T-R-E. Uh, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.